0: If you're seeking Biblical wisdom and understanding in these difficult and trying times, and you recognize the power of God's Word to delve deep into the issues of the heart, then welcome to Biblical Counseling Today with Dr. John Quasney, Husband, father, counselor, author, and teacher, join us for Christ-centered, gospel-driven truth concerning our individual, marital, and parenting struggles. This. Is biblical counseling today
1: as consumers we live in a time with one of the greatest of paradoxes technological achievements beyond anything in human history on the one hand and products and machines that don't last more than a few years on the other hand how can we humans make a washing machine with a computer that senses how long to wash when to change cycles and how to be the most efficient as possible yet they last only five years. Then we have smartphones that can do just about anything, yet after less than two years they are already too slow down to the point of near death. Well, we all know the answer, right? Machines are not built to stand the test of time anymore because the consumer really doesn't want them to. We get bored with our phones at about two years. We want new computers every four to five years. Who wants a 40-year-old washing machine like that old Kenmore your grandmother had for practically her entire life? Our purchasing habits certainly keep the wheels of technology grinding forward, working to add bells and whistles that will simply amaze us. But while our consumer attitudes about our appliances and computers and other technology are mainly focused on the new, we must take great care that doesn't invade our view of relationships especially marriage. What should be the most amazing to us is a marriage that endures the test of time when two remarkable sinners actually make it for the long haul. And for the most part, it does excite us to celebrate 50th winning anniversaries and beyond. Deep down, we know how valuable to the kingdom of God Christian marriages that last truly are, not to mention to children and grandchildren. But unfortunately, our sinful hearts can be either tempted for something new or simply unwilling to continue to work on our marriages to keep the machinery humming along. It's one thing to want a marriage that will last for 50 years or more. It's another to do the grace-filled work that will make that happen, Lord willing. So as you may be rightly frustrated every time your dishwasher or refrigerator or computer breaks down, when you thought it should last a whole lot longer. Redirect your holy frustration to your marriage. Think about the places that need routine maintenance and special care in order to make your marriage last way past some manufacturer's warranty. And I would suggest high on the list of work that must be done are the twin activities of forbearance and forgiveness. Two works of grace that we all desire Yet, find challenging to offer to our spouses at times. Let's dig down deep into these two important positive four words that will keep your marriage moving forward into the distant future. So, let's turn our attention again to the words of the Apostle Paul found in Colossians 3, this time in verse 13. Picking up in the middle of a thought, he writes, Bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other. As the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. What Paul is doing here is continuing his teaching of the virtues that Christians are to put on in relationship with other people. On that vital list is forbearance, bearing with one another, he says. His words can be also translated enduring one another. That should characterize our mindset of marriage. It is an endurance race after all. It is intended to be a marathon, not a sprint. Marriage is supposed to last a long time, which means we should always be playing the long game when it comes to our marriages. We should be in it for our entire lives. Marriage was never meant to be short-term. To accomplish this, forbearance has to come into play. Or to put it in our modern vernacular, we are going to have to learn to put up with one another and bear with one another. Now that is sometimes easier said than done. That takes a lot of grace and mercy. The Christian marriage must be bathed in grace and mercy. To bear with another person with all their sins and weaknesses, we must have a grace mindset rather than a works mindset. Now, make sure you understand forbearance in the most positive sense first. To put up or endure another is not the same as some stoic victim-like attitude of extreme suffering. You are not to be saying or thinking things like, You are certainly the cross that God has forced me to bear. Or, I'm so tired of having to put up with you, but I guess I have no choice. Or no one else would put up with you like I have for all these years. These words and thoughts are rooted in self righteousness and self pity, not in grace and mercy. And they will do the opposite of encouraging us to forbear with our spouse, effectively discouraging us from running an endurance race with one another. So, how do we live in forbearance towards our spouse? Well, we'll do it only if we keep two truths firmly fixed in our minds and hearts. First, we must remember that the Lord Jesus is always bearing with us. Even after salvation, we continue to sin and display little faith at times. We need the Lord to endure with us to the end. We will actually love Christ more when we revel in the fact of his forbearance for us. Second, You must remember how much your spouse has to bear with you, too. You are a great sinner as well, unless you've forgotten. You have many weaknesses that need forbearance. You are not that easy to live with. Why should someone actually commit to live the rest of their lives with you? Keeping these two foundational truths in mind will go a long way to enable you to show grace to your spouse. Now, let's make this very practical and keep from falling into error with four important truths about forbearance. First, forbearance is not the same as just keeping my mouth shut. Like with many other of the mistakes we make in marriage, we must not think of forbearance as some sort of mute passivity where we watch all the sins of our spouse but never say anything about them. No, biblical confrontation is an essential part of a growing Christian marriage. We are actually able to point out the sin in our spouse in a gracious way only when we are committed to a life of forbearance. So when you are convinced and convicted by the Spirit that you must speak up and point out sin, make sure you do it with forbearance. That leads us to the second truth. Forbearance is rooted in a heart attitude of faithfulness. In marriage, we will only forbear with our spouse's sins, weaknesses, and eccentricities if we're totally committed to being faithful to him or her. Faithfulness has become virtually an archaic notion in today's world, hasn't it? Employees are less willing to be faithful to bosses or owners or companies than ever before. The whole concept of the seven-year itch came from the observations of psychologists of when most divorces occur or at least when faithfulness begins to diminish. Even in the world of relationships people appear to have let go of the notion of lifelong friends. So why are we less faithful to others today? Part of the answer is in order to be faithful you have to suffer at some point in your marriage and most people today just don't want to suffer. Another possible answer is that we think more in terms of what I need from my spouse instead of what my spouse needs from me. In other words, the idea of being a servant has fallen out of vogue. Whatever the reason, check your heart to see if you are truly faithful to your spouse. If for better or worse, richer or poorer, till death do us part, still means something to you. You will only forbear if your heart is committed to faithfulness. Third, forbearance is growing in your enjoyment of your spouse's weaknesses. Now, we have to be very careful here. In no way should you enjoy your spouse's sins. Those need to be confessed, repented of, and rejected. And there will certainly be some of your spouse's ways that you will probably never enjoy, but merely tolerate. But the truth is that you will forbear so much better If you come to enjoy things about your spouse that your natural self finds annoying, strange, or frustrating, those things that make your spouse the person he or she is, the way she mispronounces certain words, the little obsessions about certain food brands or eating habits, what he finds amusing or funny that you don't, the eccentricities that you never knew she had even the mistakes he makes over and over again. You know the old saying of how we should love someone warts and all? That's forbearance. That's the willingness to even learn to like things that at first drove us crazy. So work on your mindset of learning to find joy in the midst of your spouse's weaknesses, resolving to love the whole package, rather than just thinking about all the things that have to change. Finally, forbearance is deeply connected to forgiveness. Attempting to endure a lifetime with your spouse is impossible without forgiveness. Why? Because your spouse will sin against you, and against you a lot, and repeatedly. As we will get to next, forgiveness is also rooted in a hard attitude of faithfulness. Forgiveness says in my desire to forbear and my faithfulness to you, I must keep removing the record of wrongs. Just as the Apostle Paul says, we are to forbear with one another and then if there is a complaint, forgive. In other words, forbearance keeps us from a constant life of complaining, but when there is a legitimate complaint, it should be confronted and forgiven. If you think about it, a lack of forbearance will only produce a marriage filled with grumbling, whining, and complaining about one another. These are idolatrous heart attitudes that demonstrate our lack of belief in a God who forbears with us in grace, love, and mercy, and will only end up producing a self-righteousness and self-pitying heart that will contribute to a marriage that struggles to endure. Now let's transition to think about forgiveness in marriage. Listen one more time to Colossians 3, 13. Bearing with one another and, if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other, as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. We begin then with four essential forgiveness principles. The first principle, we forgive as the Lord has forgiven us. Just as we need to focus on how God bears with us in order to bear with one another, the same principle is an effect in forgiveness. In order to truly forgive your spouse, it must be driven by your knowledge of God's forgiveness for you in Christ Jesus. Without this understanding, your forgiveness will be incomplete, weak, and temporary. Think about it this way can non-Christians forgive? They certainly have to be able to do some semblance of forgiving in order to have any sort of relationship. But what fuels their forgiveness? Human kindness, the desire for peace, the fear of confrontation? Whatever the reason, it's never out of enjoyment of God's forgiveness for them. Any forgiveness granted without the forgiver's understanding of his or her own forgiveness is less than true, rock-solid forgiveness. This knowledge of God's forgiveness keeps us humble and thankful, always ready to forgive and ready to reconcile. Just think what your life would be without God's forgiveness for your sins. Now contemplate what a marriage is like where unforgiveness reigns. Not a pretty sight. You may be holding unforgiveness against your spouse, or your spouse may be unwilling to forgive you on a regular basis. The starting point of any forgiveness is remembering how much God has forgiven me. And then the second principle is having a heart ready to forgive. In order to forgive your spouse of anything, your heart needs to be in a state of constant readiness This is especially true for the more painful or long-standing sin that is happening against you. Having a heart ready to forgive means confronting your own anger and your own bitterness. It requires submitting yourself to the work only God can do in your heart. It requires taking captive of thoughts of revenge or payback, seeking to glorify God in the situation. When your spouse asks for your forgiveness in a timely manner, it is so much easier to forgive and often prevents the buildup of bitterness and resentment. But what happens when your spouse refuses to ask for your forgiveness or simply doesn't recognize their sin? This may require you to overlook their sin, not to ignore it, not to pretend that it didn't happen, but truly covering it with the grace of the Lord Jesus. To overlook sin is to get past it, to resolve to not allow that sin to produce bitterness in your heart and soul. It is really a demonstration of forbearance. But whether or not your spouse actually confesses his or her sin, your everyday task is to always have a heart ready to forgive. It must be prepared to cancel the debt your spouse owes you, It must be soft rather than hard. This is essential to your own sanctification as well as to keep you relational in your marriage. When our hearts begin to fill up with unforgiveness, our natural tendency is to withdraw and to go it alone. We attempt to protect our hearts from further hurt rather than to seek to love others deeply from the heart. A third principle of forgiveness is this. Forgiveness is a fourfold commitment. So let's take a moment for us to define well what biblical forgiveness really is. As I've already said, it is much deeper and more substantial than the world's forgiveness. It requires supernatural ability, God's grace and strength in order to forgive others, even those who you love the most. So I think the best way to understand forgiveness in marriage. Is that it is a fourfold active commitment. These are essential resolutions that you promise to keep when you release another person from their debt to you. First, you must make a commitment to never bring it up again to the other person. This is the most obvious commitment you make to the person who has sinned against you when you forgive them. Yet it is difficult to keep, especially in marriage. To forgive completely, the matter cannot be brought up again. The sin is never to resurface. It cannot be grouped with another sin of the same kind to make your case the next time. More on that later. Forgiveness means canceling the debt. When you cancel a debt, you can't go back years later and say, I want you to pay that debt now. The debt doesn't exist. When true forgiveness is granted, It is a sin on your part if you try to hold it against your spouse. So that's the first commitment, a commitment to never bring it up again to your spouse. Second, you make a commitment to not bring it up to other people. This is equally important, isn't it? What does it communicate when you say you've forgiven a sin yet tell others about it? Now, before you forgive your spouse, you may need to receive biblical counseling on how to deal with a particular situation. But when you look at your spouse in the eyes and say, I forgive you, it is time to stop talking about it with others as well. If you feel you need to talk about it later on, this may just reveal that you are still harboring bitterness over the whole situation. You didn't have a heart that was prepared to forgive in the first place. If you bring the sin up to others, you are now the sinner that needs forgiveness from your spouse. You are participating in gossip and or slander. When you truly forbear with your spouse, you are committed to protecting your spouse, not exposing his or her sin and weaknesses to other people. Third, forgiveness is about making a commitment to not bring it up to yourself again. The age-old phrase, forgive and forget, is in view here. But in reality, forgetting is not really required when you forgive. Some sins against us would be nice to forget. Some are easy to forget. Others are impossible to ever forget. Your ability to forget is not the gauge of your forgiveness. This hard commitment has to do with what happens when we remember those sins done against us. Forgiveness means not dwelling on those sins anymore. We purposefully and consciously put them out of our minds. We don't let them become fodder for reflection. Think about it this way. Does God forget your sins? No, God can't forget anything in the human sense of the word. But he does choose not to remember our sins anymore. He chooses not to look at them when they are forgiven. They are covered by the blood of Christ as we are hidden in him. So the same must go for us in our marriages. We must commit to not dwell on sin that is forgiven anymore. Finally, the fourth commitment is this. We must make a commitment to love again. This is the most overlooked part of true forgiveness. How does your spouse, who has sinned against you, really know that you have forgiven him or her, is just saying the words, I forgive you, enough? Sometimes we act as if the person who sinned against us still owes us something after we've forgiven him or her. You stand at a distance waiting for your spouse to make it up to you. Well, that's not forgiveness. Instead, it is the responsibility for the forgiver to show love and pursue the relationship this will very clearly communicate true forgiveness has occurred. You must commit to love again, reach out again, pursue again. Now, if this doesn't seem quite fair, you understand forgiveness. Forgiveness is not about giving what a person deserves. It is giving people what they don't deserve. It is grace. Your commitment to pursue reconciliation with your spouse is a necessary ingredient of forgiveness. It demonstrates that the dead is really wiped clean. It is a fresh start. So now there's just one more important biblical principle of forgiveness. Forgiveness is painful and costly. From what has been said already, I hope you recognize how challenging forgiveness really is. Truthfully, many of us live in a regular state of unforgiveness. We hold grudges. We stay quietly bitter. We look for subtle forms of revenge. True forgiveness is costly. It hurts. It is sacrificial love at its height. It makes you deal with your own sinful desires to hurt your spouse or get revenge or let the world know what a sorry person you're married to or what a saint you are for staying in this marriage. True forgiveness is humbling. It is submissive to Christ. But the spiritual blessing of forgiving others far outweighs the cost. We enjoy our own forgiveness in Christ. In this last section, let's consider some of the unique issues we regularly encounter regarding forgiveness in marriage. First, forgiving your spouse's repeated sins. Your spouse has a unique ability to commit the same sins against you over and over again. What a blessing, right? Ken and Lori have been married for almost 20 years. In many ways, Ken has come a long way in his maturity in Christ. Yet one of his nagging sins is that he is prone to lose his temper with Lori. Ken never hits Lori, but he does say some very hateful things and curses as well. In his anger, he clearly sins and he knows it. Ken is very quick to apologize and seek Lori's forgiveness. But lately, Lori wonders if she is just enabling Ken's sin by forgiving him over and over again. Maybe she should withhold forgiveness until he really changes. Lori should be glad that Jesus gave the answer to how many times we have to forgive a person that commits the same sin against us. How many times is that? 70 times 7, or as one commentator said, infinity times infinity plus infinity. As difficult as it is, the biblical truth is that there is no limit to how often we forgive our spouse's sin. We must continue to deal with our bitterness and be prepared to forgive over and over again. What is crucial here is to separate forgiveness from critical marriage problem-solving. Sometimes we make forgiveness into a passive thing, thinking it means that we never really deal with the situation. Forgiveness is never to be confused with just letting a problem situation go on and on. Lori needs to recognize that biblical confrontation is required for repeated sins. Problem solving is needed. Biblical counseling may be required. But you always need to remember that you are not enabling a sin pattern by offering forgiveness. You are obeying King Jesus. Forgive the repeated sins of your spouse over and over again, and make sure you are confronting and working towards change as well. Second, how about the problem of forgiving a spouse who never apologizes? Eddie tells you of his exasperation over the fact that his wife, Fran, never apologizes. And when he says never, he is not exaggerating too much. It seems that Fran would rather die than admit her wrong or ask for forgiveness. So Eddie not only does all the apologizing in his marriage, but he tells Fran that he forgives her even when she doesn't ask for it. This just makes Fran more angry as she says, I didn't do anything wrong. You are being self-righteous and presumptuous. If I needed your forgiveness, I'd ask for it. As hard as this is, what we learn is that when your spouse refuses to confess her sin or doesn't see her sin, the true transaction of forgiveness can't really happen well. After all, what debt are you forgiving when your spouse doesn't think she has done anything wrong in the first place? This becomes more of an issue of learning to overlook sins and being prepared to forgive when your spouse actually apologizes. Oftentimes, what is missing in these cases is proper biblical confrontation. We are passively waiting for our spouse to figure out what she's done to us rather than pointing out her sin in a loving and respectful way. That's what Eddie does a lot. He sits back and pouts and hopes Fran will see how much she has hurt him. It usually doesn't work, and it is simple manipulation at times as well. If you do give your spouse a godly rebuke, It must be followed up by conversation and a willingness to listen in order for true confession and forgiveness to happen. In the meantime, have a heart ready to forgive. And hopefully the relational transaction of forgiveness can happen at some point. A third big forgiveness issue is forgiving the big sins. Tim just admitted to Violet that he has been having an affair with a woman in his office for the past year. He has broken it off and totally wants to save his marriage now. He asked Violet for forgiveness, begging her not to divorce him. Our day-to-day sins are sometimes fairly easy to forgive. But what about big sins such as infidelity, abuse of all types, or addictive behaviors? Well, we'll have to save the whole issue of infidelity for another podcast. But again, I would point us to the need to separate forgiveness from the action of biblical problem solving. We forgive our spouses for their sins, big or small, because of God's big forgiveness of us in Christ. Our sins against God are huge. Yet there may come a point in marriage that reconciliation becomes impossible Without a dramatic miracle from the Lord, sin can so break the covenant that there is little covenant left. The hurricane of sin may have broken down the house so much that there's no building material available to rebuild it. Hopefully, this is not true for Tim and Violet. If there's true repentance and biblical change is made, then there's hope. Violet will certainly have to sacrificially and painfully forgive Tim, which is only possible if she rests in her own forgiveness in Christ. The real problem often comes when we view the day-to-day sins as the really big sins. They often become huge in our eyes because we haven't solved issues and we haven't offered day-to-day forgiveness either. The last issue is this. What happens when I'm not forgiven? Carla is experiencing this problem with Dale. She is very quick to ask forgiveness, but Dale typically takes a long time to forgive. Dale says that it just hurts too much to forgive. He finds it much too hard to get over the mean things Carla says and the unfeeling actions she often displays. So what is Carla to do? Keep asking for forgiveness? How often does she have to beg? Well, Carla still has three main responsibilities here. First and foremost, she is to seek God's forgiveness for her sin. Whatever she has done to Dale, she has first sinned against God. Then she can have true peace resting in God's forgiveness for her. But secondly, she does need to keep asking for forgiveness in love, in humility. She may need to speak more of how she has hurt Dale, affirming him and not minimizing her sin. This is not to say Dale is, has any right to withhold forgiveness, but Carla has to make it clear that she understands her sin. And then finally, at some point, Carla may have to confront Dale for his sin of unforgiveness, of course, in love and humility as well. So do you see how the twin virtues and activities of forbearance and forgiveness give your marriage the opportunity to endure? Bearing with one another and forgiving one another in marriage is only possible because God forbears with us and forgives us in Christ. Enjoy the work of the Spirit in your life so that you
0: can offer these graces to your spouse. Thank you for listening to Biblical Counseling Today with Dr. John Kwazny. This weekly podcast is supported by Biblical Counseling and Training Ministries, which you can learn more about at bctministries.com. If you have found yourself encouraged or challenged today, please share this podcast with your church, family, and friends. Rate us on iTunes and your social media outlets. It really helps. Until next time, may you enjoy the riches of God's compassionate grace and mercy in your life.